The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke in the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So for the last year or so, we have been having the kids come forward at the beginning of the service so that we can talk about the Nicene Creed. Now, we're not going to have you guys come forward for this part today, but we're doing a baptism after the sermon, and I'm going to have you guys come and stand kind of around the font so that you guys can see everything that's going on, all right? Okay. But while we've been talking about the creed, we said that the word creed comes from another language, and it's a word that means I believe. But when we say I believe, what do we mean? I trust. When we say, I believe, what we're saying is, I trust. Because faith is not about you and I knowing facts. You and I knowing facts can help to, uh, to, to strengthen our faith. It can help to build up our faith. But a lot of times, the facts that we know get between us and our faith. They can, in fact, push us away from our faith. They can lead us to imagine that we can trust in ourselves, that we can trust in the things that are around us instead of trusting in 
Jesus. Instead of trusting in who God is and who God says that we are and what God says that he is doing right now in the midst of his creation. Faith is not about facts. Faith is about knowing Jesus. That's tricky for us because a lot of times, at least if you grew up in a tradition like I did, when you heard that word coming to faith, it meant you learned the right story, you repeated the right facts, and now you were part of the church or you were saved, right? Anybody else hear it presented that way when they were growing up? That's how I always heard it. And, and there was always a part of that story that involved me knowing Jesus or believing in Jesus, but it was always something that happened in my head. It was always something if, if I knew the right things and said the right things and believed the right things, then I was part of the group. But then what happens in my heart, even my heart as a child, even our hearts as children, when you start to ask questions about those things that you know and those things that you believe? You begin to ask, well, maybe I don't belong. Maybe I'm not a part of it all. And there's an anxiety that can build up in our hearts. Maybe we don't belong where we are. Maybe the, the things that we're hearing aren't true. Maybe we can't trust in these things. What I want us to walk away today knowing is who Jesus is and who you are. And what Jesus says about you and about the work that he's accomplishing right now in the midst of his creation. I want you to be able to say with me, I believe, I trust in God, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In his sacraments, in his church, and in his promises for me and for everything that he has made. That's what I want us to walk out of here today knowing. Now, the parable is probably, if you grew up in church, you've heard this parable before. There is a Pharisee who stands up and he gives this long-winded, really obnoxious prayer. And then there's this, this tax collector who comes in and he prays this really simple, humble prayer. And Jesus says, pray the humble prayer and not the obnoxious prayer. <laughs> right? We've, we've heard this story before. But here's what I want us to pay attention to, okay? The important thing when we are reading, especially the Gospels, but any time that we are encountering Scripture, is to say, what did this story sound like when Jesus told this story? How did the people who were around him hear this? Because if we set ourselves in that kind of a mindset, not perfectly, because we live 2,000 years later, and we live in a different culture, and we speak a different language, we come from a completely different people group, like our culture isn't built on any of those things. But if we can just imagine for a moment, what was it like to be sitting in that group, listening to Jesus speak, and have him tell this story? Because this story was powerful enough that it was cemented in the minds of the people who heard him. It was so important to them when they heard it that they wrote it down and they handed it to other people and they said to them, if you want to know who Jesus is, read this book. It has the things that Jesus said, the things that were so important that we retained them. So what is it about this story that Jesus told that's so powerful that it was handed on and on and on throughout the different communities. Well, we remember that this is the story where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know in Luke's gospel that when Jesus is, is transfigured on the mountain and he's revealed as the son of God to his, his inner circle of disciples, that he then, Luke says, sets his face toward Jerusalem. He has revealed himself. He knows who he is. He's heard the father speak words over him that that renew him in his purpose and he sets his face toward jerusalem he knows what is coming he's already told the apostles 
over and over and over again. I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, wicked men are going to seize me and put me to death. But that's not the end of the story that God is telling about his love in the midst of his creation. I'm going to come back. That's the promise that he gives them, but they don't understand it. They're like, okay, well, whatever, Jesus. You know, in, in those conspiracy theories now these days, all of these, all of these bad guys have it in for you, this wandering rabbi from somewhere out in the hill country. Whatever, Jesus. So he's on his way, and as he is passing through, uh, through Samaria or near Samaria, there's a bunch of lepers that come out. And what does Jesus say? He heals the lepers and sends them off, but then one of them, who's not Jewish, comes back to him to say, thank you. He says, thank you for what you've done. And Jesus says, do you see the faith of this one person? Do you see the trust that he puts in who God is and what God is doing? And this person is not a person who belongs to God's covenant. He's one of the people in the nations that surround. Jesus is beginning to unfold something new, something that we haven't seen before. Well, then the Pharisees are nearby, and they're walking along, and as they're walking, they keep asking him these questions. Well, tell me about where this kingdom of God is. You keep talking about this kingdom. Where is it? When is he going to show us this kingdom? And Jesus then tells them another story. He tells them the story about a widow. And he says this widow is, is in need of justice, and there's this evil judge that lives in, in her area, this, this politician who doesn't do anything but, but help himself out, and yet she continually comes to him over and over and over again, bothering him every single day. And what is he going to do? He's finally just going to give in to her. He's like, think about the world that you live in, where you're surrounded by brokenness and wickedness. And yet, if we continue over and over again to come to God, we are beginning to reveal what God's kingdom looks like. He says, if you think about her faith, you will get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. But the Pharisees, they just sort of ignored him. They said, well, that, that's not what we mean when we are asking this question. Obviously, you're, you know, you're a dumb person, and you're from the hill country, and you don't know about you know, all, of the, all of the theological nuances and all of the, the big fancy words that we have. So... So they just ignore him. They say, you don't understand what we mean when we're talking about the kingdom of God. And so what does he do? He then turns to his disciples and the people who are there and the Pharisees who are there. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. Imagine that there was a Pharisee who stood up. Now, the problem for us is that when we use that word Pharisee, are you think, when I say that word, are you thinking, oh, well, this is a good guy? No, we absolutely don't mean that. When we, we, we literally have the word Pharisee as a mean thing to say about someone else. That word in English just means a bad person who is using their religion to make themselves look better and be judgy about things. We literally have this word in our language as a negative word to apply to someone else's behavior. Okay, But here's why I said at the very beginning, we need to hear this story the way that Jesus is disciples, the way that the people who were gathered around him heard this, because they did not have that kind of an understanding of Pharisees. When they heard the word Pharisee, Pharisee was just a particular religious group, like a denomination that we have today, and they were devoted to upholding every single part of, of Moses's law. Every single part of it. They, they tried everything that they could to be holy and to help others to be holy. Now, some of them you know, they, they definitely were, were abusing the, the power and the authority that were given to them. But most of them were people who deeply, desperately wanted to be holy so that they could bring glory to God. And so when Jesus tells them this story, he's telling them a story about a good guy. So there was this, this Pharisee, and he got up to pray. And then there was this tax collector. Now, we 
because we have oftentimes grown up reading scripture, have a soft place in our heart for tax collectors and sinners, right? <laughs> Which Jesus also has a soft place in his heart for tax collectors and sinners. But the people who were listening to Jesus did not have a soft place in their heart for tax collectors and sinners. These were traitors. These were people who had, who had aligned themselves with the government and they were part of the oppressive force. They were taking advantage of their... These were awful, awful people. Jesus says, one day in the temple, a Pharisee got up and began to pray. And when he prayed, he revealed what his heart was like. God, I thank you that I'm not one of these thieves. And I'm not like these criminals. and I'm not like all those tramps. And I'm not like those traitors, you know, like that guy over there. I tie the whole bunch and I fast and I pray really good. And I'm so glad that you have me on your team. <laughs> And then Jesus says, and then there was a tax collector. And you can hear the crowd sort of collectively, boo, oh, boo. They don't like this guy. And Jesus says, he came into the temple, and he could not lift his face up. He couldn't stand up. In, in Jewish culture, as well as in, as, as in our culture, as, as Anglicans, when we pray, we stand up. But he couldn't. The only thing that he could do was kneel on the floor with his face against the ground and say, God have mercy. That was it. That was all that he could bring out of his heart to say was God be merciful. A friend gave me a, a book to read. And there was a... There's a turn of for a description that, the, that this author gives. And he's talking about the way that we use language in Christianity. And I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but I'm going to mention it again because not all of us were there. That he talks about these, these beautiful words and phrases in Christianity that we have passed back and forth to each other for so long that they're like a handful of coins, that they've been traded between hands for so long that like they've been worn thin. And when you look at them, you can't even determine what the value is anymore. And Christianity is full of words like that, grace and faith and mercy. These words that should shake us to our core, that should fill us with joy and hope and fear and longing and hunger. And we just sort of toss them around. You know, it's like, oh, well, here's a, here's a word of grace for you. It's like, oh, we'll just have faith. And we just throw these phrases around and they don't have meaning for us anymore. But this man falls down before the, 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 the temple and he says, God, have mercy he doesn't say, God, have forgiveness. There's a different word that he could have used if he said, God, forgive me because I'm sinful. He doesn't say that. He says, God, have mercy. This word that he uses, mercy, isn't about forgiveness. It's about being restored. He recognizes that there's something wrong in his heart that needs to be made whole. There's something missing in him that has to be healed. There's something wrong something deeply and desperately wrong and only god is going to be the salvation only god is going to be the one who can make them whole again it's not just about forgiveness often for us when we talk about mercy we're just saying god i hope that you forgive me of my sins but this man comes from the covenant people of god and he recognizes that his sin is not just a him issue that it affects everybody who's around him and that his sin will always only lead him away from God. 
and that the only one who can fix that brokenness is God. And so he says, God, be merciful to me. God, heal that brokenness. He says, God, I want to come home. That's what that word means. I want to come home. See, if we go through our life of faith and we imagine that faith means knowledge, then when we sin, it's because we don't know the right stuff. And so the solution is for us to begin to believe the right things. If we learn the right things and learn how to say the right things, then we're going to be saved. That's the result of, of us imagining that faith is about us knowing the right things about who God is. But if faith is about trust, if faith is about you and I belonging to God, then sin means that we don't belong to God, that something is causing us to wander away from our Father, and that the solution, salvation, means being restored. The tax collector knows in his heart of hearts that he is lost. He knows this, and so he calls out to God, and he said, God, I'm lost. Bring me home. Bring me home. Jesus says, you see, the problem here is that the people who puff themselves up, he uses this word that, that's used for, like, inflating a, a balloon. People who puff themselves up are going to burst, and they're going to fall down low. But the people who know who they are are going to be filled up and elevated. And as he says this, people begin bringing children to him to have him bless them. Because children trust that's all that they do. The only thing that children can do is trust. The word here to the parents is, the children can only trust in you. The way that the tax collector trusts in God, the way that these children trust in the blessing of the Messiah, our children trust in us. They believe in us. They have faith in us. As they come forward, the disciples are trying to push them away and say, no, this isn't the time for that. And Jesus says, no. It's one of the few times in Luke's gospel that Jesus, that Luke uses language that is aggressive and angry. He says, do not get in their way. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like children coming to the Father with only trust not relying on themselves, not imagining that they, can, that they can do things for themselves. The way that our kids wake up in the morning knowing that there's going to be food there for them, believing that there's going to be warm clothes, that there's going to be transportation, these things that they never think about. They just assume that they're there. Jesus says this is what God's kingdom looks like. It looks like his people knowing that God provides for his children. There's an abandonment to that that is really difficult for me. To just let go of that need to be in control of everything all the time. That's that lostness in my heart. I think, no, I know the way. I, I know the way that I need to go. 
And suddenly on the way down that road that I've made for myself, I realize that I'm lost and I don't know how to get home anymore. And what I have to do, what we have to do is to learn to trust God the way that children trust. Not asking a bunch of whys or whims, but simply knowing that God provides. Knowing that the Father is someone that they can trust. Knowing that home is a place where they are safe. Some of us don't come from places where we can trust those things. For some of us, that was your story growing up. Home wasn't safe, and Father wasn't somebody that you could trust. Your needs weren't met. But the promise of Jesus is that what is lost is being restored. That in God's kingdom, we have what we need. That in God's kingdom, the Father is trustworthy. That in God's kingdom, we can come home. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you.